This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Polly Rulin, CEO of the United Soybean Board. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with USB's Polly Rulin next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. They know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. And you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Prior to beginning her tenure with the United Soybean Board, Polly Rulin described the farmer-led group as extremely innovative. Now, as she celebrates her one-year anniversary as CEO of the Chekhov-funded program, she's excited for opportunities that will come to growers and the industry that surrounds the magic bean. Rulin says her motto is, better every day. There's never a time that you can kind of rest on your laurels, so to speak, or on the wins that you've had. That's not what farmers expect of us. And so we are working every day for the past year and beyond to make our expenditures more efficient, to make sure that we have what we call an innovation pipeline and we measure the innovation of particular projects from the beginning of the innovation pipeline all the way to maturity of projects. Right now we're working on more projects at the beginning uh, of the funnel because we have quite a number of projects that are mature or maturing. So that's, that's one of the objectives. Uh, those include projects in things like uh, protein quality in beans, um, different solutions for oil challenges that we've had due to regulatory and decision-making and end-users, particularly CPGs, and then just kind of strategizing and, and putting the pieces together such that we understand new uses for the whole bean be that meal, uh, meal and protein, or be that oil. And and then, of course, we sell whole beans to a lot of different countries, too. So, you know, it's a very large program. Keeping all the slots working together like, like a good gear should, that's a challenge that's, that's constant in a program this size and something that we're working on right now. You're working with farmer leaders across the country. Who comes up with the ideas, and have you made structural changes inside USB that you see have made you or will make you more efficient? So the farmer leaders come up with the strategy, right? Farmer leaders take a look at industry trends and they say, listen, we we think we need something in oil. Like, for example, Ohio Lake soybean oil. Uh, that was a farmer understanding that um, in some uses, particularly food uses, the commodity soybean oil and the way it's processed is not going to be acceptable to some of our end users. And, and they charged the, the soybean staff and the, and the soybean contractors with coming up with a, a solution for that regulatory challenge. Ohio Lake Soybean Oil was that solution. So this is a farmer-led, farmer-directed program, and it's 100% farmer-funded. 
I think that's a misunderstanding in some circles that some folks believe tax dollars go into this program, and they don't. Uh, We pay for everything. Farmers pay out of the program for everything, from inception of the project all the way through USDA review and the regulation and the oversight that comes from D.C. So uh, uh, as a farmer-directed project, though, we do have some structural, some internal structural changes that we've made and then are making inside in the past year, and we continue to make, and that is... We have added a couple of staffers that are in charge only of strategic decisions and keeping all the all the wheels on the bus among all the folks that work for the checkoff, all the contractors. So we hired a vice president of meal strategy, a vice president of oil strategy, and a vice president of sustainability strategy. Those three areas are the three key pillars of our strategic plan. And those folks' job are to make sure that we are being efficient with dollars, that we are looking forward far ahead enough to know what the challenges are before they get to us, and to make sure that we have plenty of projects going into that front end of the innovation pipeline so we don't run out of new ideas and good work uh, on behalf of farmers. When you find yourself in the situation now with the tremendous surplus and challenges with regard to marketing, do you immediately react? Is there an immediate knee-jerk reaction to what's going on? Or do you keep your eye on the ball and stay the focus, both looking in the short and the long term for opportunities for profitability? The reason we have a long-range strategic plan is so that we can think short and long-term, as you mentioned. And although we've made some small tweaks to help sell the supply of soybeans that we have this year, we also like to keep our eye on the ball. So, for example, I believe your listeners heard us from Jim Sutter at uh, United States Soybean Export Council, which is a checkoff-funded organization primarily. And he talked about how we had already been thinking about diversifying our international markets away from those um, those those big markets that we were heavily invested in, like China. We will continue that diversification effort that started before the current trade challenges. Uh, and in in many cases, we've ramped up that effort to uh, to make it happen more quickly and more immediately. We have also ramped up efforts into finding new uses for soybeans that aren't um, food or feed, motor oils, surfactants, uh, adhesives, paint, uh, rubber, those kinds of, of uses that are very important uh, to, the, to the magic bean, as I like to call it, because the soybean can be used for so many different things, food, fuel, fiber, and feed. So we think about short term, but we don't like to have a knee jerk. In other words, we, we like to keep it on course to make sure that everything we're doing to accommodate for the very high supply, uh, fits in with a long-range strategic plan, so we're not kind of running around chaotically. Then thinking about checkoff programs, certainly there have been challenges to not just the soy checkoff, but checkoffs in general on Capitol Hill. What are the misconceptions you think that, that are being portrayed by those who attack uh, these these farmer-funded groups? Yeah, I think the biggest misperception is is one that I alluded to earlier, and that would be that general citizens' tax dollars are going into these programs. These programs are uh, were concepted by farmers, are approved by farmers, pass a farmer vote uh, to put them into effect, and a regular opportunity to hold a referendum if they don't like the performance of the program, and are 100% funded by farmers. So I think the biggest misconception about checkoff programs, and I hear it over and over again, in many, many groups, not just uh, on the Hill or in Washington, D.C., uh, is that we're using somehow using taxpayer dollars to promote our product. And, and it's just not true. Uh, and I also think another misconception is that somehow farmers aren't in control 
of their own programs. I mean, I like to call checkoffs the biggest self-help programs for farmers uh, in this country. And all checkoff programs are governed by a board of directors of farmers and people who have vested interest in uh, in the sale and promotion of the product. All checkoffs are forbidden from doing lobbying and influencing uh, government decisions. Uh, so they're focused solely on marketing, promotion, uh, research, and education for the product. I think those are probably the two biggest uh, misconceptions about checkoff programs out there. So then thinking of the situation that you have inherited now, uh, obviously the administration has taken a hard line against some key trading partners, including China. It's caused a, a ripple, certainly, in the ability to sell product overseas at a time when it does look as though we're looking at perhaps a, another record crop. Obviously, there is a responsibility of the ASA, of USEC, and, and of USB. What about collaborative effort in times like these? You know, we have a majority of our customers are animal customers, so a large portion of the soybean goes into animal feed. So I think probably the most important collaboration we can have right now is with our animal nutrition customers and the industries that use our product, and that would be chicken, pork, and cattle industries. I'll give you an example. So the the farmer program that USDA is administering to help farmers during this time of, of trade challenges is offering some extra funding in the form of ATP funding that allows these commodities to apply for this funding and, and help develop foreign markets for agricultural product, which is, you know, a key mission uh, of FAS and USDA itself. And we've been supportive and collaborative with those supply chain partners meaning the feed side soybeans with the animal side pork and chicken to think about how we work together if we receive ATP funds to make sure that international markets for meat, which are growing exponentially, are good markets for selling soybeans through our animal partners in the supply chain. So that kind of collaboration helps us in in several ways. It helps us sell soybeans as feed to um, animals raised in other countries, but more importantly, it helps us sell, process, and feed here in the states, which elevates the entire soybean supply chain. One of the concerns about not having a farm bill is that of funding for foreign market development and market access programs. And Tom Slate with the U.S. Grains Council is quick to point out that these are industry dollars, these are grower dollars that are combined then with taxpayer dollars uh, to make the most of every opportunity. It's the same situation with soybeans, and certainly this were this was an opportunity that was used years ago to open the Chinese market, and and now again through USEC, you're still looking for opportunities globally. Yes, we are, uh, and we are we're especially interested in opportunities globally that may be new to U.S. soy that may not realize the quality advantages U.S. soy has. Oftentimes those markets are looking for a sustainable, renewable product, and perhaps other countries' products don't compete with us when it comes to sustainability, environmental um, protection, for example. And so these are the countries that we're most interested in uh, working through USEC and the rest of the supply chain to provide them with high-quality soybean-produced uh, meat. Uh, and we all know that as uh, incomes rise in countries that they want more meat, and and we want to be able to provide them with U.S. soy-fed um, proteins as their desire grows for that higher level of an eating experience within their own country. What about the relationship between 
the USB nationally and the various state checkoffs that are in place? So most of those state soybean boards collect the national checkoff uh, and then remit half of the collection to USB. So as you can imagine, farmers don't think about their investment as, oh, I'm investing this in the state and I'm investing this in the federal. They say, I'm investing, give me results, both state and national. And so that relationship between states and the, na- and the national program is critically important. And as I've told states since I came on board, your success is our success. Our success is your success. And all of it is success of the farmers. So we're working hard at USB to be a good partner to our state organizations and to uh, incorporate the work together so that the things that they know are important, we can get done. And the things that we know are important, we can get done, too, on behalf of farmers. Now that you have the new structure and one of the areas of focus is sustainability, what do you see that will need to change in U.S. agriculture or what message needs to be told about what U.S. agriculture is already doing? So there's two parts to sustainability uh, I think that are really important to U.S. soybean farmers. One part is indeed helping the public understand that many of the practices on farm are sustainability practices already because going from generation to generation, making sure that farm is productive and healthy for your children and your grandchildren is every farmer I've ever met has that as a key outcome, as a key goal that makes their life worth living. I mean, uh, they look at their kids, they look at their grandkids, and they look at the health of soil and all of the other resources that are on a farm as the ultimate win. So there's part of it that's telling folks what we're doing and helping folks understand that we've been making sustainable decisions for generations, uh, and we're getting better at it. And that's the second part. Uh, I mentioned already that you can't rest on your successes, and so at USB we're focusing on um, kind of narrowing down measurable metrics that we can show trend lines as far as sustainability to our end-use customers, our consumer packaged goods customers, our restaurant customers, they're all interested in the sustainability of their own supply chain, be that through the meat that they sell or through the soy products that they sell or the soy ingredients that they sell as part of their own products. So those folks have come to us and said, yeah, we we believe in farming, we, we love you farmers, but we need to see measurable evidence that you're never resting on success, that you're getting more and more sustainable by the day. So although a good percentage of the soy in this country is produced under the existing sustainability protocol, and that's a good selling point for our foreign customers, uh, that sustainability protocol, when we export it under that protocol, customers really like it all over the globe. I will tell you that we need to keep working on those metrics, keep improving in key areas like um, water quality, like soil health, Uh, as two good examples, like um, soil retention. Uh, Many, many U.S. soybean farmers practice cover cropping, which is a a great um, sustainable practice, uh, et cetera. So identifying those metrics, understanding what's not only important to consumers, but important to the end-use companies that serve consumers, and delivering on better everyday sustainability practices is is a key focus area for United Soybean Board. Do you find yourself in an educational position talking about biotechnology and the acceptance of new technologies to help farmers be a more productive but also more sustainable? 
The problem with, for example, a technology like um, like GM technology is that there's a lot of misinformation about GM technology, and it's a fear-based misinformation. Now, one of the things that I just hate is when an organization will try to make money for itself by spreading fear-based messages that are completely without scientific basis. GM is one of those issues that's gotten in my opinion, way out of hand due to a large amount of, of misinformation and folks deliberately attempting to mislead the public um, uh, based on fear in order to, uh, frankly, line their own pockets and make, make money for their own organizations. So when I explain to consumers, as I do frequently, that technologies like GM technology and other technologies that we use are primarily used to grow more product on less land, to use fewer crop inputs, we call them, and I mean pesticides, herbicides, and other things that protect crops from a growing number and type of those threats to crops that reduce yield and would therefore make us need more land to produce the same amount of food. When I explain to them that these technologies are actually part of a, a wider sustainability strategy of U.S. agriculture and, frankly, led by U.S. soybean farmers, they start to understand the whole picture of why these things are, are used and why we need more and more efficient pesticides and more and more efficient herbicides and, and crop inputs. And sometimes I think we avoid, as farmers in the farming community and as agriculture, uh, agribusiness, we try to avoid talking about these things because we've been kind of beat into submission by the misinformation. And I believe we've got to get out there and tell the real story about these to consumers so they're not scared of something that is there's no reason to be scared of, like continuing agricultural technology. Listen, consumers want technology in the form of new medications to use for diseases and to make their life better, and they're more than willing to accept advancements in the space of pharmaceuticals, for example, to make their life better. Uh, it doesn't. It, it, it confuses me, and, and I think it's a fear-based again, a fear based on misinformation, it confuses me that they don't equally embrace the use of technology in their food as they do in pharmaceuticals to make their lives better and to make the environment better uh, and, and the, whole, the whole country more sustainable. So then thinking of the challenges that are in front of producers right now, obviously uh, the administration's trade policy is not one that, uh, that you... Uh, uh, that you introduced the weather situation that we're seeing now is is not one that that obviously you you introduced but with regard to the United Soybean Board you're there to look for profitability regardless of the circumstance so what's your message now uh to producers for those who are contributing to this checkoff and and certainly hopeful of better days yeah we have you know the soy checkoff has done a lot of work focusing on um supply side improvements and I think we have a lot of entities in the soybean business that are looking on supply-side improvements. And I believe that in the future, the soy checkoff and those folks who are invested in the soy checkoff uh, should shift a little bit more toward looking at demand. As I mentioned, the health of a product, the health of an industry, relies on the health of demand. So that's what I would tell investors. I would say we are we are refocusing on the demand side, and we will mind the demand side for you. Uh, in an increasing way, and and that means new new markets, new products, um, marketing uh, more intensively in certain countries, 
and also domestically so we can find new uses and, and sell soybeans uh, productively and profitably for for the U.S. farmers. So that's where I mentioned before, we're forever driven, we're farmer-led, and our sole purpose is sustainability of the U.S. farmer, be that profitability or um, environmentally or in many other ways. So we are run by farmers, our board is farmers, and that's our main goal. Uh, and that's that's what investors should know. Polly, it's easy to look now at the challenges around the industry and you see a lot of dark clouds. But when this is over, when the tariff situation is over, and when some of these other situations are past us now, do you see a better day for soybean farmers in the soy industry? Listen, whenever I'm thinking about, for example, the stock market, we all know that short-term static means long-term gain. And that's what I think about right now. I think that um, short-term crisis like this makes us look at other foreign markets, make us, makes us look at new uses, when perhaps if we didn't have this type of challenge, we we might not be as invested in trying new things and, and putting things at the beginning of the innovation funnel. So if you think about this short-term static, I have an enormous amount of optimism for soybeans as a product, for the flexibility of the product uh, and, and the future uh, globally for U.S. soy. Well, Polly Rulin, we'd like to congratulate you on your first anniversary as CEO of the United Soybean Board. This is Open Mic, and our tradition is you have the last word. I appreciate the time, too. This is a great opportunity to talk about checkoffs and soybeans in general. I would just uh, tell the farmers out there that they should know that somebody is working on their behalf, that their investments are being minded by their peers every day, and that the soybean checkoff will continue to stand behind them and support them uh, through market pull programs and supply-side programs. So hang in there. Uh, we are looking at a better day, and, uh, and the soybean checkoff is with you. Our thanks to Polly Rulin, CEO of the United Soybean Board, our guest this week on Open Mic. Agripulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.